Good morning. Welcome to Axios Today. It's Tuesday, July 21st. I'm Nyla Boodoo. Here's how we're making you smarter today. The state's at the center of the 2020 voting crisis, plus how the virus has shut down the traditional fall TV lineup. But first, the global clash over a COVID vaccine is today's one big thing. The UK and China made big news yesterday with promising results in vaccine development for the coronavirus. The U.S., Russia, and at least five other countries are also working on almost 200 possible vaccines. But instead of nations across the world coming together to find a common solution to a global pandemic, it's become a geopolitical mess. The U.K., the U.S., and Canada even accused Russia of stealing vaccine research. Dave Lawler is the world editor for Axios. Russia does have one vaccine in development from its state-run labs, but there's a few stages behind where the U.S., China, and other countries are right now. And so part of the accusation is that they're trying to steal information from those projects happening elsewhere and incorporate it into their own vaccine development program. And Axios has a scoop that Kevin McCarthy, the Republican leader in the House, is actually presenting sanctions that could be applied to people in Russia and China who try to steal U.S. vaccine research. I guess there's no one to mediate between countries in all of this. Is there anyone that has an authority to do this that countries would respect? The WHO and the European Union are actually working together to try to come up with a plan for what they call fair and equitable distribution between countries. The U.S. notably is not part of that project. China is not really participating in that project. And so some of the key players are not really playing a global game. They're looking first at their domestic needs. So no, we don't have any global actor who's really driving the bus. It's more happening at at a national level. What are the implications of how this could go wrong if countries continue to work against each other? So the Oxford vaccine, which seems to be the real leader at the moment, requires two treatments, right? So that's two doses per person. Magnify that by the global population. So that is an enormous need to fulfill. And if you have countries all pulling in their own direction, all trying to take care of their own populations, the question becomes, should somebody like me, who's working from home and is young and healthy in a rich country like the United States, should I get a vaccine before, say, a frontline worker or somebody who has a real health problem in the developing world? And if that decision is just made based on who has more money, that's really where things start to get dicey. And then, of course, it's a question of if you trust that country's vaccine. Do we trust a Russian vaccine or a Chinese vaccine or the Oxford one? My sense is that if this Russian vaccine is approved by Russia, that does not mean it will be approved by the FDA and that you'll see it circulating in the United States. There's certainly a matter of distrust there and also geopolitics come into play. Now, the Oxford vaccine, which is being developed or was developed initially in the UK, the US has already bought tens of millions of doses of that vaccine, anticipating that it might work. The big picture here is developing a vaccine is just the first step, because then there's production and distribution. And without global cooperation, it's bound to be messy. Dave Lawler is the world editor for Axios. We'll be back in 15 seconds with four states that are facing voter rights crises. Welcome back to Axios Today. As November draws closer, election-related lawsuits are surging, especially in battleground states. 
and the presidential election could actually hinge on results from one or two of those states. But with COVID numbers rising, many voters will have to rely on voting by mail, a prospect that a lot of election officials say we aren't prepared for. Steph Kite is a politics reporter for Axios. So Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, North Carolina, and Georgia don't have a ton of history with vote by mail. So in 2018, fewer than one in 10 voters voted by mail in these states. And I was talking to the U.S. Election Assistance Commissioner Donald Palmer, and he said states with that level of absentee voting, they could see more like six or seven out of 10 voters voting by mail because of fears around the coronavirus. So that's a huge increase. Do we feel like these states are ready to handle that? That's a question that states are still trying to answer. And we've seen some not so great signs. For example, in Wisconsin, when they had their primaries, we saw a rise in coronavirus cases. This is just so wrong. This this election should have been called off. You know, they're telling us to stay in the house and, you know, stand six feet from each other. But then one of the most important times, they're forcing us to come out here. So they had that experience. We also saw a lot of chaos in Georgia where certain communities with a lot of people of color, there were extremely long lines and people were having to wait a long time to vote and there were delayed results. So, Steph, this all sounds really bad. I wonder if identifying these problems early, does that maybe help fix the situation? It can help fix the situation. Elections officials are preparing for this. This is what their job is. But some say that they need more help from the federal government. Steph, is there anything the everyday voter needs to know now ahead of November? The thing that I hear most often from these elections experts is that they want the average voter to understand that the way they vote, the options they have to vote could be changing. And so for each voter, they need to be aware of what their state is doing, be aware of whether they are allowed to vote by absentee without an excuse or whether they are going to have to go to the polls in person in November. State election board websites are a great resource for voters and also reading any local reporting that's out there about about these issues and following through that way. Steph Kite is a politics reporter for Axios. If you're anything like me, I think your TV viewing has increased exponentially during the pandemic. And maybe you have been wondering about the fall lineup and what's new for us to watch. Well, Sarah Fisher is here with me now. And unfortunately, she doesn't have great news on that front. Do you, Sarah? No, that's right, Nyla. TV's infamous fall lineup of new shows and series is going to look a lot different this year. And that's largely due to the pause production during the pandemic and the uncertain future of live sports. Consumers should expect fewer scripted dramas and they should expect more things like animated series and reality TV to make up for that loss. One thing I thought was interesting about your reporting on this, Sarah, is that we may see more programming from international networks to fill the lineup. These big broadcast networks, they like to produce their own content. But right now, a lot of international markets are opened up in production while the U.S. is still shut down. Netflix said on its earnings call last week that they're not still able to produce a lot of content in the United States, but they're starting to roll out production aggressively abroad. If Netflix can't figure out a way to do it with its heavy pockets, then how are some of these broadcast networks going to be able to do it? Sarah Fisher covers media for Axios. Before we leave you today, can we have some hopeful news for a thousand? I expect to be around 
and uh, I expect to be hosting the show if I am around. It's been more than a year since Jeopardy! host Alex Trebek was diagnosed with stage four pancreatic cancer, and he's actually doing really well. Eight weeks ago, the numbers were at about 3,500. Now they're below 100, so I'm going in the right direction. He gave an emotional interview to ABC News this week to celebrate his new memoir. It's called The Answer Is, Reflections on My Life, and it's out today, the day before his 80th birthday. Happy birthday, Alex. That does it for us today. You can reach our team at podcasts at axios.com or reach out to me on Twitter at Nyla Boodoo. If you want more news before tomorrow, tune into our afternoon podcast recap. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And we'll see you back here tomorrow morning. Thank you.